This is a Mr. Thrive Media production. <laughs> Hello, Thrivers. How are you all doing today? Hope you're having a good and healthy and productive end of the week. A good start to the weekend. An excellent start to the weekend will be this episode. We are introducing Kenton McDougal, who, speaking of all the fires happening in California right now, is a fire dancer and a movement artist. We're going to learn how he went from what he describes himself as a Peter Griffin this unfit, out-of-shape human being into an inspirational Goku inspired by a Bruce Willis type of figure. This guy is absolutely fascinating and interesting, comes from really rough beginnings, and really just proves himself today as an amazing artist, even a little bit of an entrepreneur. And I'm really excited to see this guy's trajectory in life, and I'm excited for you guys to hear this episode. On top of that... I also want to bring up that in just several days, on August 31st at 8 p.m., we are having our Dapper Party. I don't know if you guys know this or not, but we host networking parties for artists and entertainment professionals. Let me ask you this question. There are a lot of people on this podcast that you guys listen to. Is there anyone in particular that you would like to meet? Well, now you can meet them through Zoom virtually in our networking parties. We hope to see you there. We hope that you have a good time. Go out into different breakout rooms, schmooze, hang out with each other. It's a damn good time. Finally, I just got to say, uh, life is good. I'm just I'm just happy to be recording and live and well. And without further ado, let's get this show on the road. Introducing Kenton McDougall. You have stumbled upon Mr. Thrive's Stars of Tomorrow, where together we will discover emerging artist, fire performer and movement artist, Kenton McDougall. Kenton, welcome to the podcast, my friend. How you doing, brother? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. It's a good day. It's a beautiful day. Like I said earlier, I had a mini panic attack with all of the neighbors making sounds this morning, wondering, am I even going to get a clear recording with this interesting <laughs> dude? But now we're here, man. Now we're here recording yeah. these neighbors and their boats because i just moved to this area in oxnard you know they're they seem to be quieting down now finally uh nice. but i'm i'm feeling good about this morning uh what, what have you been up to this morning i'm good man i got i got to sleep in a little bit i've had some uh time off work which has been really really nice so uh i got to relax yesterday so i'm just chilling man I'm, good I'm happy man to be here with you bro Good, good. And yeah, we're going to talk about what you do in a second because you're talking about chilling from work. You live a pretty busy lifestyle, both physically and mentally, I feel like. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we're going to get into it. We're going to get into what the hell it means to be a fire performer and a movement <laughs> artist. In the meantime, I want to talk about how I even met you. Yeah. Basically, basically, I live, you can see my house from where we met. That's oh, a, nice. Yeah, yeah, that's the thing. I live in that neighborhood right across and what happened was I take these late night walks sometimes right I'm taking these late night walks I get to the amphitheater in that mall across and I I see you guys from a distance but I I was intrigued you know fire dancers what the hell is that these guys who are spinning around staves that have that with, with, with like flames that are completely engulfed in flames I see you with the with the nunchucks. My first thought is like, oh god, this guy's way too cool for me. Like, I'll never be this cool. <laughs> this guy's gonna not even say hi to me when I say hi to him. Next thing I know, you're the friendliest guy at that amphitheater, and I was like, oh my god, this guy's freaking cool. So, <laughs> you're a fire performer. 
Yeah, yeah, I'm a fire performer, man. I'm also a huge nerd. You know, that's that's kind of part of it, you know. And when someone appreciates what I'm doing, you know, I, I appreciate them. So, you know, you had a big smile on your face. You had a great energy to you. So, of course, I'm going to talk to you. You know, Thanks, some man. people can be a little bit like, you know, I don't know. You know, I don't want to share this. But, but me, I'm, I'm wide open, man. If someone's going to appreciate what I'm going to do, I'm going to appreciate them, plain and simple. Thanks, man. I really appreciate that. Like every nerd, they have an origin story. Where are you from, yeah. my friend? I'm from Orange County, California. Yeah? So, how was it living? How was it growing up in that area? It was pretty rough, to be honest with you. It's, it's a beautiful area. Uh, it's, it's very nice, uh, upper middle class. But I was, uh, you know, I was poor. I, I didn't fit in um, with most people down here. So it was, it was kind of rough, to be honest with you, growing up here. What, what was it that made you, that didn't allow you to fit in? As you say, was it was it a look thing? Was it a was it well, strictly about the money? I mean, it, it, there was a, a number of things. One was, you know, looks. I, I looked a little bit like uh, Peter Griffin from Family Guy, like a young Peter Griffin. I was it was pretty chubby. I had glasses. I wasn't athletic. Um, and as far as the money, my parents never had money, and everybody around me had a lot of money. And then also my parents uh, were divorced and I was raised by my dad. So I was very socially awkward too. I just didn't fit in. Everybody around me seemed to have like picture perfect lives. And then there was just me and I was socially awkward. I was fat (laughs) and I just didn't fit in. I just didn't fit in with anybody. The crazy thing is you describe yourself as fat and I personally cannot see you as fat although i mean there are huge transformation stories out there we'll talk about your transformation in a second but uh yeah i'm sorry about your family dynamic i mean it's rough seeing that witnessing that divorce isn't it yeah it was tough man and even worse than that it was a domestic violence uh situation so there was there was you know violence in the household that i was growing up in as well um so it was it was a really tough confusing time for you especially when you live in a place where everybody else around you uh, seems to be perfect, or at least on the outside, everything around you seems to be perfect. And then it's just like me, I'm like, man, my life is so fucked up. Like, why, why am I like this? You know? So yeah, it was a pretty confusing time, man. But, uh, I definitely am grateful for it now, believe it or not, where uh, I realized that gave me a lot and it helped me to see a lot. And I, I just realized and I've come to an acceptance that if, uh, I didn't go through that, then I wouldn't be the person that I am. And I wouldn't, um, have the same view on life that I do, you know, and everything, I look at everything in life as, as happening for some kind of reason. And, wow. um, you know, later in the story, I'll tell you about when I went out and did ayahuasca in Costa Rica, but it was a very, uh, when I had that experience, it kind of showed me why I had dealt with the things that I dealed with in life and, and went through what I went through and that it was all for a purpose. So yeah, I've kind of come back to that conclusion that, you know, everything that I went through was for a reason. I think you have an amazing outlook on what took place with you as a child and not many who have similar backgrounds as you come out of it with that same mentality. What do you attribute to making you different towards that outlook? I think that regardless of what happened to me, I always found some kind of silver lining. It was like no one was going to pull me out of these situations, but I found ways to pull myself out of these situations and I found ways to use these experiences that I went through that were really horrible as fuel to motivate me and push me through life and, and find myself, you know, cause I was lost for a long time, man. But, um, 
I kind of just had to keep fighting through through life. And uh, I I lived in my imagination a lot because I didn't have a lot of friends. So you know, I worshipped and and like looked up to people like Bruce Lee and like Goku. You know, and and in my head I was you know. On the outside, I am a, a mini version of Peter Griffin walking around, and in my head, I'm Goku, kind of thing, and 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 that was like the way I coped through things was with my imagination and with my thoughts, and that inner character was always inside me somehow, and I was always just trying to get closer to that inner character, and that sounds really weird, but that's that's kind of the way I got through things. Doesn't sound weird at all. What was it about? <laughs> what was it about Bruce Lee or Goku that that you were attracted to? Starting with Bruce Lee, because he was the real figure, you know, I, I just saw this man that was so solid in himself and, and had all this, this uh, Eastern wisdom and, and was just such a solid, confident human being. And he could whoop anybody's ass with a pair of nunchucks. And he was just not a big guy, but he was just, he was solid in who he was. Um, you know, and later in life, I looked into deep into all of his philosophies and stuff and, and really just idolized him. Um, and then Goku, you know, Dragon Ball Z was a big part of my, my childhood. Like I really, I still, I still think of myself as, as a Dragon Ball Z character sometimes. I'm, I'm like working towards it every day. <laughs> but uh, I think Goku was cool because he was this happy-go-lucky type dude who was, you know, not the most brilliant dude in the world, but always had a smile and a positive attitude on his face and never had to show how tough he was. But then deep down inside he had this fire where he was the most powerful human or not human super saiyan in the universe you know and he could you know he could save the world he had all this potential to do this but he didn't have to flex either he didn't necessarily have to do that but at the same time he was happy go lucky but he was always training he was never satisfied with his power level or where he was at he was always working to be better and uh, i think that's a model that i have followed throughout my whole life no matter what i've reached physically um, you know, or spiritually or anything, I'm, I'm still always trying to work to be better because I know I'm not at my final form. You know, I haven't gone Super Saiyan 3 yet, so I, I got to keep going until I get there. <laughs> I was just thinking as you were talking, this sounds like a parallel to your current lifestyle. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it, it is. I mean, it's funny because it's, it's like, you know, I've, I've changed a lot in my appearance and, you know, the way I look at the world, but a couple of things haven't, you know, and that is, I'm, I'm still always trying to improve. I'm still not at the final form and I'm, I'm still working, you know, and I don't think I'll ever stop. What does the final form look like for Kenton McDougal? Ooh, man, I don't know because I haven't got there yet. You know, I, I can only put in the work, bro. That's all I can do. I can put in the work and I can have an idea, but, but the final form has to reveal itself. I mean, who knew that Goku was going to have, you know, golden hair down to his butt? you know in, in the third form you know i don't know and I now i'm know. looking at your dreads and now i'm looking at your dreads <laughs> hey we're working on it man we're working on it they're not quite down to the butt they're, they're like halfway down the back but you know maybe when they're down to the butt they'll turn gold that's it's impressive right. it's impressive maybe blue maybe blue even you know we'll see. okay okay i feel the blue i feel it as a dodger as a dodger fan i'm feeling the blue but yeah in terms of in, in terms of this final form and, and growth and whatnot it sounds like you really came from your childhood and, and took you know maybe some characters that weren't necessarily meant to take meant to be taken seriously and you've found a balance in your life that works for you built off of those characters those inspiring characters from anime from bruce lee did you ever see the documentary about bruce lee move like water 
Oh, is that the new one on ESPN? I believe so, yeah. You know what? My mom has been like, Kenton, you need to see this. I just haven't, I haven't had the time to sit down and watch it yet. Um, so no, I'm, I'm kind of uh, embarrassed to say that. But I have gone through a lot of uh, his books that were uh, uh, written by John Little, where they went over his philosophies. The Way of the Warrior uh, was probably my favorite one. Uh, so I've done extensive research into the man. Uh, but no, I have not seen that new documentary, and I probably need to get on that. Like well, I'm sure there's actually more that you know that maybe the documentary didn't reveal. Maybe the documentary is more, more personal. But I want to ask you, what is a fact about Bruce Lee that not many people know? Ooh. Oh, okay. All right. Sweet. So Bruce Lee, actually, his favorite weapon was not the nunchucks, believe it or not. Dan and Santo taught him nunchucks. But Bruce Lee, back when he was uh, in China, he actually, his favorite weapon was a three-sectional staff. Really? Yeah, yeah. And uh, there's only one picture with him with a three-sectional staff, and it's when he has his son Brandon, and he's, like, pulling it out. But there's no footage of him actually using a three-sectional staff. So, like, that is the big mystery. Like, what would Bruce Lee look like, like, kicking someone's ass with a three-section staff? You know, because a three-section staff, it doesn't get the kind of uh, – it doesn't get the kind of praise or it doesn't have the same kind of glamour as the nunchucks. But, man, what a badass weapon. Like, three, like three sticks attached by a chain. I have a fire one, too. By the way, I have a three, fire three-sectional staff that I like to pull out, but it is a weird weapon, man. Oh, so it's not just a staff. It's it's three staffs attached by chains. Is that what I'm understanding? Yes, yes. It's like a giant nunchuck kind of thing. It's, it's what the like, hell? Okay. Yeah, a three-section staff. There's a bunch of different names for it. I'm not going to butcher them. I'm not going to try and say them and butcher them because I don't want to do that. But uh, a three-section staff is three sticks and there are two chains attaching the the three six and it's 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 you know it's kind of hard to find training with that one um with everything that i learned for it i kind of honestly i did it the way i learned most things and i just looked in the mirror that looks cool that doesn't look cool let's try this you know uh but it's a heck of a weapon and it's one of those things where you have to be super assertive with it or it's gonna like nail you in the back of the head and it's not forgiving at all that's for sure Jesus. It doesn't sound like a very forgiving learning curve, but just to go back a little bit to what you just said, are you saying that all of the weaponry that you play with today, that you, that you practice with today, that was self-taught? Everything besides rope dart. Yeah. But the nunchucks uh, were self-taught because they're they're, When I, when I started spinning nunchucks, there just weren't uh, a lot of people doing it. And, um, I, I, I honestly, because I, I also had some really bad learning disabilities when I was a kid in school, like on top of, you know, being chunky and uh, being awkward, you know, they, I was put in special classes where, you know, pretty much you're made to feel like you're stupid. Um, so when it comes to learning, it's, it's hard for me to learn from other people because I feel like I'm going to let them down. So it's much easier for me to take something and really explore with it on my own and find my own style with it than to learn from someone else so like I started learning nunchucks on my own from things that inspired me um and then I you know even when I did get into the fire community there were a bunch of guys that spun poi like hey you know you can do this move I'm like okay I don't want to do that like I'm going to do my thing and that's always been my mentality then when I learned rope dart there was a process and there were people that helped me along the way with that one so that one was I was able to learn much quicker 
with that. But other than that, um, the three section staff, I taught myself everything. Nobody taught me anything with that. My newest prop is something that um, I saw someone doing online with just a normal pair of nunchucks. They attach it to a rope. And I was like, whoa, I think I can do that better and bigger. And so I call it a meteor chuck where it's a giant set of nunchucks on a rope and you spin it around like a meteor dart, but then you can also pick it up and throw it like a nunchuck. Um, and that's all been self-taught, you know, using stuff that I've learned from rope dart and things that I've learned from nunchucks. But I really think it's way more fun that way, to be honest with you, when, you, when you're kind of making your stuff up as you go and figuring it out as you go, because it becomes much more personalized. And that's yours, you know, people can learn those moves, but at the end of the day, like you, you sat there in the mirror and you figured that out. So I, I do take a lot of pride in that, to be honest with you. You should take pride in that. Not many people can be self-taught. I can tell you right now that I'm not a very well self-taught person. I've always kind of leaned on people to to gain my lessons for sure. So that's a pretty unique approach to education for sure. You mentioned your learning disabilities. What learning disabilities are those, if you don't mind me asking? Oh, no, totally, dude. I'm an open book here. Like I'm I'm fully vulnerable and I'm, I'm just going to tell you it, how it is. Um, I had a lot of trouble learning um, and a lot of trouble reading. Um, I just was not engaged in a lot of the subjects in school. So uh, it was it was hard for me. I, you know, I just couldn't pay attention. My mind was in Goku land, you know, and, and you're trying to get me to sit in a chair for eight hours or however long and, and pay attention to something that means nothing to me. Just Do you think it was work. like ADHD or just simply a lack of motivation? I wasn't necessarily hyper, but I could not pay attention for sure um there was a lot of things at play you know and, and i think i was doing okay until like what was going on with my parents came in like i wasn't brilliant by any means and it was still hard for me but then once once other things it was things just kind of seemed pointless i was pretty depressed and school just was not my thing um later in life you know and, and what's really sad is is i gotta be honest the the public school system really failed me and, and i left school feeling like i was dumb and as, as life went on, I, I kind of realized, no, you're not really dumb. You just got a w different way of learning and looking at things. Um, but yeah, I was put in smaller, smaller classes, um, you know, and, and then problems when you put kids in smaller classes too, is the kids that really legitly have, you know, some learning problems are also put in with kids that just don't give a fuck and, and are just kind of troublemakers. So it's like, you're kind of all grouped together. So I, I couldn't really put a finger on what my actual learning disabilities were. Uh, I know I picked up things a little slower, um, but then again, when I got into subjects that really, really fascinated me, like when we started learning about transcendentalism and stuff, like I aced all my, my papers and did great. And I had a teacher pull me aside and he's like, dude, you're not dumb. Like, you're really not dumb, man. Like, you just don't, you don't care about this other stuff, do you? And I'm like, no, I don't. But we start talking about something where it's, it's about, you know, individual liberties and like um, discovering the self and things like that. I'm like, I'm in, man. I'm, I'm all about it. But most subjects just weren't like that. Yeah, there just wasn't a lot of things that, that caught my attention and motivated me. So I don't know, you know, how much of that was the learning disability or how much was actually having actual learning disabilities. But it was just very hard to stay engaged. And I did, I definitely did pick up things a lot slower than normal kids but then you know immediately i was isolated from other people and kind of told i was i was different so you know you can build a crutch off of that as well first thing i want to say is that normal never made a story people who are normal live normal lives but right. 
you're on this podcast because you don't have a normal story. And the second thing I want to say is that I think one thing the education system has never really been put into perspective is that the education system that we live on today was developed in the 1800s during the industrial era. And its purpose was to basically simulate a factory setting because in the industrial age, factories are really just getting created. They were learning about uh, how to streamline the production process of products and importing and exporting. So they created an entire factory system out of the education system. Now, the point of this was that at the time, it worked for getting those kids into the mindset of a factory system. But the problem is that over time, as less people worked in factories, as most people nowadays do not work in factories, that education system is only molded for a specific type of student. And that's one of the major problems with the American education system. Uh, Not to get political or anything, but there just needs to be huge education reform for individuals like you and and even me, because I had trouble focusing. For my level of education, I would say that there was no other process for learning that that concept. In any of those subjects, it just reminds me, and I'm sure a lot of people listening to this are probably thinking the same thing that, that, that quote by Albert Einstein, if you judge a fish by its ability to climb a tree, it'll always grow up thinking it's stupid. <laughs> it's so true, man. It really is. Yeah. I, I, I definitely feel the same way, man. Um, it, it, I, there were, there were classes like art class where, I, I loved it. Like I really enjoyed it. And I got close with an art teacher that let me be a TA because at that point I wasn't even really showing up to school, but she knew if she let me be TA for like my first period class, then I might show up to school more, more often, you know, cause I was actually in an environment where I felt comfortable, where I could express myself in a way, but you know, everything else about school, the hierarchy of school, like, like I told you before, I was picked on a lot just because I was different, you know, and I tried sports too. And I just got pummeled, man. I got I got the crap kicked out of me in football. I don't even know why I did that. Um, you know, I, I, I just kind of to go back a little bit to the origin story. I went from being like a little fat Peter Griffin kid. Elementary school and, and junior high was when I was really, really bad. I was picked on quite a bit. I, I remember one girl telling me I was in a science class and I ended up at a table with pretty vicious dude and a pretty vicious girl and I think they kind of liked each other and they got off to kind of like picking on me and this girl like looked at me at my my worst time and she said do you really think any girl would ever like you with the way that you look and I was like just so hurt I I had to get out of that class and like go to the bathroom and and like you know I cried in the bathroom I was like that's like when it hit me I was like I gotta do something about this dude like I can't I can't feel this way about myself so I started running cross country um, when I was, uh, in eighth grade, seventh or eighth grade, I think it was eighth grade. And, um, I finished every race dead last I was the last person to finish, but I finished every single race in between, um, junior high and high school. I had dropped a ton of weight. I went from a size 36 pants, I think to like a size like 30. Um, so I dropped like six pant sizes and wow. I was, I was a super skinny kid, you know, and then of course I try and football and I just get the crap kicked out of me. <laughs> so you went from the large size that would have been good for football to losing all that weight. You lost all that weight. And then you go into football where you need that weight. Yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> and I just get, I get, I get pummeled pretty much. Um, yeah. And, and, you know, there was some, uh, there was some eating disorders thrown in there as well. Sorry I to wasn't hear that. Eating. I mean, it's all part of the origin story, man. It's, it's all part of it. Like it's nothing that, that, you know, not, there are plenty of people that go through that during those years. Those are tough years, man. Yeah. You know, 15, 16 years old, you're trying to figure out who you are. And then society is telling you, you know, what you should be or whatever. And, and you're trying to fit some kind of image or whatever. And it's hard times, but yeah, I, I would straight up be trying to lift weights and I'd pass out. Like I went down in the weight room, I think like three or four times where I was lifting weights and I just hit the ground. And eventually I met one of my friends cause he like, Hey dude, you, you need some help learning how to lift, you know, like I could, I could help you out. You know, that's how, that's how I made like one of my only friends back so then was, was that the start of you growing into the physical fitness you are now? You know, not in high school, in high school, I had some pretty rough things happen. One was, was my, my sophomore summer, like the year between freshman and sophomore summer, I got jumped in a park. I was, I was meeting some friends in a park and I got jumped by four guys and um i got you know I, I woke up they hit me in the back of my head with a skateboard Ugh. and i went out and i woke up in a completely empty park no one was around and there was just kind of like you know there's blood everywhere i didn't really know what happened but yeah I, I got i got physically beaten down to the point where i couldn't open my eyes for two weeks and then that same year you know i went back to football and i had a coach set me up because i wasn't any good man at all they had me, he set me up against the starting linebackers, had me stand on a hash, and then every single one of them hit me one after the other, after the other, after the other. And, you know, these guys were mean. They spit in my face when they hit me and stuff like that. But that year, I said, this is never going to happen to me again. Like, the way that these, that the things that have happened to me, me being, like, uh, physically humiliated by people and beat down, this is never going to, I'm never going to let this happen to me again. So... I quit, I, I quit sports. Um, and I started getting into like, uh, MMA a little bit more. It wasn't the right way. I just wanted like, if anybody was going to mess with me, I wanted to be able to kick their ass. And I really couldn't, I was pretty pathetic to start off with, but you know, I got into a lot more fights because it was like, I'm not going to let anybody humiliate me again. I don't care if, if I go out, you know, swinging, but I'm, I'm going to defend myself. So that was kind of the start was, was after getting, uh, after getting pummeled a couple times and beat down was I need to build myself up. And then uh, around my junior and senior year, junior year, I think I missed half of half of the school semester or half of the school year and, you know, barely got by. And then by senior year after Christmas, I was done with school. And so I went into an adult education program because I was over 18 at the time. And, um, you know, I, I started training on my own because I couldn't really get motivated to train with these other people because there was a hierarchy involved and everybody was training the same way, but I had to find my own thing. You know, I had to find my own way of training and my own way of doing things. Um, so yeah, I actually started training because I was in doing MMA type stuff and I, I was getting ready for a fight, uh, a pancreation fight and pancreation is, is just kind of like full contact MMA, but you don't hit each other in the face. Um, and they made all these fights illegal like around the same year that I was doing it when I was like 17. I dropped like 20 pounds for a fight. I got down to 145 pounds and fought. And of course, got my ass handed to me kind of thing. And, um, you know, it was obvious to me then that I was too small and weak 
you know, for, to be a fighter. Like I just wasn't, I wasn't able to do it. So I started putting on muscle and started lifting weights. And all of a sudden, once I started putting on muscle and lifting weights, like I got this sense, this respect from people where like these people were picking on me before, but, but now it was, it was a different thing. So I was like, all right, well maybe rather than just learning, you know, you know, learning how to fight, which makes people want to fight me more, maybe I should just kind of work on physically building myself up. And, and that's really how it started. And, and out of high school or, or like that senior year, I was spending around four hours at the gym a day just because like I got hooked and addicted. And again, it goes back to Goku and training like Goku, you know, trying to be better and build myself up. Um, so that's really where that started. And it, it was originally to be a better fighter. And then I just realized people weren't going to mess with me once I started getting bigger. And um, yeah, that's that's when I started to get, you know, more respect from people was was when I built myself up physically. I literally was going to say, that's Goku. <laughs> that's Goku coming out right there. <laughs> it is, man. That's the inner Goku uh, for sure, man. Yeah. And that was, that was an obsession. You know, that was something where, you know, once you start to get that feeling of acceptance from people and stuff, then, you know, me and, and kind of my attitude is like, I go all in. And, and, you know, I really did go all in and I really did try and get as big and strong as possible um, to the point where that got unhealthy too. you know, eating disorders that were, you know, previously, you know, when I was younger dealing with like what my parents were going through, I was overeating because I felt like that was the only thing I had control in my life. And then later in life, when I felt like, you know, I was chunky, I stopped eating because I felt like, you know, that's the only way I could improve my situation and get skinny. And then later in life, you know, I, I started doing these, these competitions and stuff. And, and those were just kind of like a, a controlled eating disorder in a way, you know, um, you're you talking know, about eating like, competitions, <laughs> no, uh, physique competitions. Okay. So like, like, you know, bodybuilding type stuff. But when you start doing that type of thing and you start going in the competitive level, it's, it's just as toxic in my opinion, as, and not, not for everybody, but for me, it was just as toxic as an eating disorder was. When did you draw the line in those competitions? I did my, my second one when I was 21 and I had dropped a significant amount of weight very quickly and got pretty rocked up and, and looked good. But then I didn't know, I didn't have a lot of guidance with it. So I kept dieting even past the point where I was, I was good. So I stepped on stage and like, I went from a dude who was pretty like full and, and looking pretty good to like, looking just like I was just like malnourished kind of thing on stage. And I, I my muscles weren't holding uh, glycogen. Like I, I looked just really skinny and, and pathetic. And I looked at myself in the mirror after that competition, after kind of being humiliated, because I was like, I could have gone in looking really good. Like I had a good physique, but my head got the best of me. I really, I didn't know how to do things. I, and like I said, I didn't really have the guidance either. And I was just like, dude, this is not for me. Like this world is not for me. Like I'm comparing myself to other people. And it's, it's kind of the same thing that I was trying to stay away from where this whole fitness game was about me and about doing my own thing and building myself up. And what am I doing? I'm standing on a stage comparing myself to, you know, a hundred other guys like that have totally different situations and stuff. And then this is not, this is not what I'm supposed to be doing kind of thing so that was that and and after that I, I you know I stayed working out but I, it was never a competition thing it's always got to be me against myself it can't be me against anybody else because once that starts happening things start getting weird 
for me. So it, it, the competition always has to be with myself is, is what I found in order to keep things healthy. And how'd you make that shift? Competing against other people to competing against myself. Well, yeah. in bodybuilding, I just stepped away. That's, that's honestly when I stopped doing like bodybuilding is when I started smoking pot and going to raves <laughs> and started finding like movement. And, hey, there's more to life than just being jacked, dude, and getting respect, you know? And, and once I started going to like raves and, and smoking with my friends was like, I started to feel this sense of community and like it wasn't just me against the world because that's that's really the feeling that I had. I had a really isolated feeling that that pushed me to be better. But it's when I started to find a little bit of more balance in life was when I was like, hey, you know, you can go out and you can have some fun, too. And, and I remember being at a rave for the first time on, uh, you know, those chemicals and, and feeling the sense of oneness with everybody around me and just like, hey, you know, we're all on this ride together. Like everybody's kind of going through their own shit and everybody's trying to figure this out on their, in their own way. And, um, that, that shifted things, you know, I still had the drive and the motivation to do things, but I also was starting to realize there's more to life than just, you know, fighting. Cause it's like, if you keep going down that path, you're never going to be satisfied with yourself sometimes, you know, it, it, you're never going to be big enough. You're never going to be strong enough. You're never going to be tough enough. So that's, that's, I think, when I started to find a balance in life. And so, like, I'd go out and I'd have my fun. And, and in those, those areas of, like, raids and stuff is when I started to find my movement and uh, just started to find something different in life. Totally. So you're now engaging in movement. You, you, you're describing that. You're getting kind of – you kind of go from one extreme to another. You kind of go from the world of competitive bodybuilding – which proved not to be healthy as some would think it might be healthy, but it proved not to be healthy Right. to shifting into letting yourself get lost again Yeah. in the crowd, Absolutely. in these raves. Mm -hmm. And, yeah. you know, like you said, doing drugs, which it comes with it, you know, it comes with the territory. Absolutely. But, yeah, man. <laughs> when did the nunchucks come in though? Cause that's such a big part of your identity. Yeah. Well, okay. So during this whole bodybuilding phase and stuff, I, I'm doing my lifting and stuff. And, and I had built nunchucks like during my, my high school years and stuff just because out of boredom in a lot of ways. And I always had a fascination with them. And I love to build things too. With, with what materials? Anything. Anything. Yeah, I, I could, oh, yeah, bro. I can make a pair of nunchucks from two magazines, some duct tape, and a, sh a shoestring. If you take the magazines and you roll them in on themselves and, and you uh, tape them really tight with duct tape and you have the shoelace going through it, dude, that's a solid pair of nunchucks right there. I feel, like that would be, I feel like that'd be surprisingly effective. Oh, dude. It was honestly, I made them out of wood too and stained them and made all, all different kinds of nunchucks, all different kinds of things. But honestly, the magazine nunchucks like that I had like those were the ones that scared me the most because they were the heaviest. And like, if I hit myself in the head with those, dude, it was, it was not going to be good. The magazine scared you the most. Yeah, man. I, <laughs> I had like two like ride BMX magazines that were like pretty thick that I rolled in <laughs> on themselves and, and like piped, taped them really tight with duct tape. And then I put um, sports tape on the end of them and everything. And they were heavy, dude. Like, I think I recently found them like a, uh, like last year or something I was swinging them around and of course I broke them you know swinging them the way I swing them now but they were like I was like man no wonder I was scared of these things 
Um, but yeah, you, you can make nunchucks out of anything and everything pretty much, you know, and, and as a kid that lives in his imagination and likes to tinker with things, um, I, I tried to make them out of just about anything possible. And, and that expanded, you know, now I'm building and selling fire nunchucks for people and I send them all over the world. And it's just the original passion that's just evolved, you know, over time. But, but that's always been a part of it. Uh, as far as using them goes, it was always a thing I did after my workouts where I go work out and then I go in the, the back room at the gym and, and just start swinging my nunchucks for a little bit. And people would come and, and watch and ask me what I was doing. I'm like, I'm just getting my cardio in, man. I'm just swinging some nunchucks. And then during this, this time where, you know, I'm doing like the, the raving and stuff and finding this new identity of myself, um, you know, me and my dad started to have some, some real conflict. Um, and some real problems. And you lived with him. I did. Yeah, yeah. Through all that stuff, I, I went off and I lived with my dad. And it was me and my dad. And, and uh, my brother and sister lived with my mom. And, and, you know, I always was there for my dad. I always supported him, you know, and because I knew he was going through a lot. You know, both my parents were going through a lot. But um, I was always there for him. And as things started to change and my perspective started to change on life, there were some things that I just was not. I wasn't really, uh, I wasn't really happy with him about, and, and we started to have more, more run-ins with each other. And we started to have more arguments and things like that. And I'm getting bigger and stronger, which is something I've never had in my life. And I remember one specific argument, you know, I think I was pot, smoking pot in my room or something like that. And I'm like asleep and he comes up and he starts yelling at me and screaming at me. And I like close the door on him and then he comes and he like gets in my room. And it's like, I'm not done, you know, and starts yelling at me and I jump out of bed and I get in his face and everything. And, and I'm sitting there and I'm yelling and he falls down over the stair and is like on the ground. And I'm looking at this guy and he's like scared to death. And I'm sitting there and I realize really quick, like, oh man, like I've become the thing that I can be just as scary as this guy. Like I've become something that, that I never wanted to become, you know? So we had a lot of collisions and it all eventually when I was 23, I had a really bad, a really bad year where I ended up breaking my hand. And around that time I got really depressed and I had a falling out with my dad, a really bad argument and things got ugly. And I just realized like, you know, I'm out. I can't do this anymore. I got to get away from this person. Like this is, this whole relationship is, is toxic for me, you know? And I was living out of my car, sleeping on friends' couches. And I was lost. There was also a girl involved. Of course, there's got to be a girl involved when you're going through one of these things as well. Um, but man, you know, I was I was at my lowest low um, and super depressed, and, and you know, didn't want to live it a lot of times. And the only thing that made me feel better was going out into the sports when no one was around, putting on some like heavy drum and bass, like some pendulum or something like that. And just swinging around my nunchucks for hours until all that energy. And, you know, my right hand's broken. So I'm doing this all with my left hand at this time. But that was really my release. I couldn't really do anything else, you know. And being physical was such a part of who I was that that was really hard. So that was the only thing I was able to do was that. And um, nunchucks became a more of my identity because now it was a way to deal with um, what was going on in my life and, and my anger and, and, and a lot of other things. So around that time, I found a place to live and it was, for lack of a better word, trap house. 
<laughs> where, you know, I was able to, to be there and sell weed. And it was actually a good time in my life because I was selling weed. So all those dudes that made fun of me in high school eventually were buying weed off of me. <laughs> and we're, we're, you know, sitting in my room getting high and like talking about life. And I'm, I'm realizing, you know, hey, these people are going through their shit too. Like, you know, like they were picking on me because they didn't feel good about themselves, you know, and I made peace with a lot of people um, around that time. Um, but during that time, you know, I wasn't happy with my life. Like, I don't want to be living in this place. Like, I don't want to be around all this crazy shit. Like, I'm partying a lot just to get through life, just to get through things. I'm still working out. I'm still got that. But, you know, and this is after my hand heals and, and such. But um, there was actually one night where a buddy came over and like, you know, this is when, when I was selling weed, I literally have someone like knock on my door to wake me up. And then people would be coming through my room all day long. We'd have like 10 people in a small room, blazing it up. And, and that would be my life until I had to kick people out to go to the gym or do something else. And one night after doing this, you know, I don't know if it was like a year in or something, a friend came over, he gave me some edibles. And then we just decided to go to the moon and hit, hit the bong, you know, till we couldn't stand anymore. And he left. And as soon as he left, all the edibles hit me all at once too. And I'm like curled up in a ball on my bed. And I'm like, just start rethinking my whole life. Like, what are you doing, man? Like, this is what you want to be? Like, this is what you've gone through all your shit to just be a loser and just be here, you know, like doing nothing with yourself. And um, it was around that time that I started to hear about ayahuasca and like this, this, this plant medicine that, you know, was supposed to have profound effects. I listened to like Joe Rogan talk about it and everything and um i'm working at i was like a always joe team. rogan that's how it starts joe joe rogan. Rogan, man. dude that's like the, the father i was always looking for you know like as a kid it was like dad you're there and you have daddy rogan daddy daddy rogan that's how all the daddy podcasters rogan. look at at joe rogan as well we're all like daddy rogan okay daddy rogan man i mean literally to this day like if there's some per person that's given me guidance to be a man it's it's that guy Really? Like, he's really been a super influential uh, character on my life. Um, and, and there's just, you know, that's one of the things. I would love to meet that guy one day. Like, you know, he's, he's got everybody would love to meet Joe Rogan one day. But, man, I would really love to meet that guy just because he was really a part of my development in a lot of ways. And, and listening to him and what he had to say, he introduced me to a lot of things that I would not have been introduced to if it wasn't for his podcast and it wasn't for what he did ayahuasca being like one of the, the biggest things you know and, and hearing him talk about it and watching the youtube videos about him talking about other dimensions and realms and stuff like that i was like man this is uh this is something that that could really help me joe rogan definitely loves to talk about the psychedelic trips and experiences before i even heard of joe rogan i remember in college hearing about dmt and then kind of getting interested in it and then i remember i followed a subreddit of just people writing what their DMT experiences were. And then following that, then Joe Rogan showed up in my life and he starts <laughs> talking about all these DMT trips and these psychedelic experiences he's, he's had on these hallucinogens. Um, what is the difference between something like DMT, uh, any kind of hallucinogen like LSD and then ayahuasca? What are the differences in those? So... You know, I think a lot of them have, have really similar properties. You know, DMT and ayahuasca are really the same thing at the molecular level. 
Really? Um, yeah. I mean, what, what ayahuasca does is it, uh, it, it is DMT. It's, it's a uh, MAOI, so a monoamine oxidate inhibitor, and something that contains DMT. It's a tracuna leaf and uh, the um, ayahuasca vine, and they mix it together. And so this, I, I believe it's the vine helps to block the monoamine oxidase that would normally kill off DMT in your system. So you can have this six to eight hour DMT experience uh, where when you smoke DMT, it's, you know, 12 minutes, you're gone, you're out and you come back. The benefit of doing ayahuasca is that you have six to eight hours to work with, you know, whether you think it's a spirit or you're in another realm, work with whatever that is. And with smoking DMT, you're, you're gone, you're out real quick. And you hop back in your body and it's almost like, man, I got a little bit of messaging, but man, what the fuck just happened? That was crazy <laughs> kind of thing where, you know, with ayahuasca, there's a whole ceremony involved. You know, I had to, um, I had to do this, this cleanse before I did it, where it was a very strict diet. Um, you're not allowed to like, you know, you're not allowed to masturbate or do anything like it's very intense. And there was a lot of journaling. There was a lot of intention that went into it. So no masturbation. You had to journal your experience. Was journaling, setting an intention. Uh, You can't eat any meat, can't have any sugar. You have a very basic diet. And then before you go to do the experience, you can't eat for 24 hours. So you got to fast for 24 hours before you do it as well. So you show up to this thing like ready, like, man, I've put in some work to get here. You know, I went to Costa Rica to do this. And I got dropped off on a park bench, you know, with a, you know, a couple of dudes that don't speak any English guy that speaks a little bit of English and get picked up by a taxi and off we go. Yeah. And, and, and basically in one week's time, they made you syllabate, they made you vegan, and then they made you fast. Okay. Yeah. That's yeah. gnarly. And, and that's nothing I had done before, <laughs> before that time either, you know, I, I hadn't done any of this and, and, and not to mention just all the digging into like what things about my life I, I really wanted to change and want to see or get answers for, you know, where I, you know, for one week, every night I was writing for, you know, a couple hours and really digging deep and asking questions. So there's a ceremony involved and there's a lot of intention involved. And this with, is in Costa Rica. And this is Costa Rica. Yeah. And, and with a lot of other psychedelics, you know, at least how you use them, you know, especially if you're going to festivals and stuff, you're, you're going, you're having fun and it's a different thing. Um, so I really do think that a lot of psychedelics can give you a lot of the same results as ayahuasca. It's just how you, you use them in a ceremony and the intention you set before you use them. Um, so anyways, I'm in Costa Rica. Um, I'm, I'm now doing the ceremony and all the way up to the ceremony, I've been seeing a bunch of signs that this is what I was supposed to do. Number sequences, like the whole nine yards, you know, even up to the second where I was getting dropped off of the park bench where I'm like, am I supposed to be doing this? And I just see like five number sequences in a row. I'm like, okay, I guess I'm supposed to be doing this. This is crazy. I go and I do the ceremony and I'm sitting in this room and there's like four of us in this room with these two shamans and, you know, we're passing around. I do this first cup, which is just a little bit of ayahuasca at the bottom of this cup. And it wasn't, wasn't anything big. I laid down for an hour. I started thinking about my mom. You know, at this time, I repaired a relationship with my mom, which was really, really beneficial and helpful to me. 
and, and you know it was like this mother's love was was the first thing that I started to think about and get a little emotional about but no real visions or anything like that and so they come around they ask me you want another cup I'm like yeah sure yeah definitely so they bring me a full cup this time and man god this stuff is it is about the most putrid thing you could ever imagine you know and they put like some syrup in like another cup that like you can dip your finger in the syrup. I didn't even know why I was dipping my finger in and like put in my mouth, but I was like, it has to be better than whatever the fuck this stuff is kind of thing. And so I do the second cup and I, you know, I get it down and I, I lay back down and like, you know, I think within 30 or 40 minutes, I don't know, time was kind of all over the place, but I just start feeling this feeling of like, going back into the earth and I had like these visuals of like vines and moss growing over my body and like sucking me back in to like the source of everything. I'm in the jungle. There's all the jungle noises around me and everything. And like, as I'm like, like getting sucked into this experience, like there's like some kind of like floating spirit head or something that like flew past my head and it was like going around me and I heard it. And it like whispered in my ear in a, you know, some kind of language that I could understand that wasn't using real words or anything. It was like, I've been waiting for you, my child. Like, and I was just like, had this, like, just this like feeling of like, whoa, like, wow, this is it kind of thing. And um, it was just like, boom, this experience started where I started going through all the traumatic things that I lived through in my life. All, you know, getting jumped, you know, the violence in my household um just all these things that i was just like why have i gone through this why have i done this and it's it's i started replaying a movie of it all and seeing it from a different perspective Whew. and uh and seeing how it kind of it, it had shaped me into the person that i had become and that this is all had all happened for a reason up until this point you know it told me you know your life is not going to be a tragedy in reality, you are going to have the kingdom. Like you're gonna have everything. You're gonna have everything that you thought you could never have, you know, if, if you're able to continue on what you're doing, you know, and you've, you've gone through these things and you've, you've experienced these things and, and you've suffered because you're meant to help other people and help show other people a way to get through things. So it started to explain myself to, my, to, to myself pretty much. You're getting emotional. I am, man. <laughs> it was an emotional night, bro. It was really emotional. It was like when I went to this experience, uh, I was extremely lost, you know, I was really lost. And, and, and I, I just thought, you know, what if I just become just a drifter? Like what, you know, I need answers. You know, I, I was really surrendering to, uh, to an experience, you know, for guidance. And, uh, I got it, you know, I, I, I got that experience where something told me like, hey, man, you're okay, you're doing all right, you know, you, you need to love yourself, you know, because everything's going to be okay, everything's going to be all right, you're going to have what you've always wanted, you know, in your life if you just continue to push on, but you got to take care of yourself, and then the second part of the, the vision after like showing me like, hey, man, you're going to have the kingdom, my child, like everything is going to be yours. But if you don't take care of yourself and if you continue to treat your body the way that you've treated your body, this is what's going to happen. And like I saw visions of me in a hospital bed with my mom and my sister around me, like just and like, you know, 
my death. I saw a lot of really dark things. And that's when I started purging and um, throwing up and just was going through a hell of a time. But it was beautiful because it was it, it literally scared the shit out of me. I mean, literally. And, and to the point where I was like, all right, I need to take better care of myself. I need to take better care of my body. Like, I want the kingdom. I don't want to destroy everything I've worked so hard for. Um, and, you know, I purged. I thought I was going to die. I thought they were going to have to airlift me out of this place. Uh, around uh, Before the really gnarly vision started, the shaman come, came around with a third cup. And I'm in the middle of, like, the blissful, beautiful, like, you're going to have the kingdom phase of my experience. And, like, you're having a dialogue with the spirit, right? Like, you're talking back and forth and asking you questions and stuff. And I'm like, ask the spirit, I'm like, should I have a third cup? And the spirit's like, why are you here? And I'm like, I'm here to have experience. And it's like, well, there's your answer. Like, go for it. So I was like, fuck it, let's go. So, uh, you know, in the middle of just, like, being balls out, blown out, having this experience, I start chugging this third cup and I get about three quarters of the way through and I held some down. But after I held that down, I started puking and I was like, oh boy, here we go kind of thing. And that's when things got really dark. That's when I went down that rabbit hole and and I saw the gnarly visions. That's when I thought I was going to die. I was going to have to get airlift. I told the shaman, I like took my passport. I put it over my body. I'm like, my sister's name's Caitlin. If I don't get out of here alive, like, you know, kind of thing. Like I was really, really scared. And, and I was scared all the way to the point where, where until I saw light peering through the doorway into the jungle. And I realized like, oh man, I made it through, you know, and I, and I got myself up, you know, it's really crazy because when you do ayahuasca, you got like shutter vision, like everything's like, <laughs> and so I like managed to get myself out into like this patio area looking over the jungle. And there's just rainbows around the whole jungle and the moon. There's like three moons that have rainbows around it. And I, I think while I was sitting there and coming down a little bit from the ayahuasca is when I really started to make a game plan for what my life was going to look like after this moment, you know, and how spirituality was going to be a part of my life and how the rainforest works together where everything has a place. You know, it, there is there is a hierarchy to the rainforest, but it's a hierarchy that works in a very symbiotic way and um and i realized your life can work like that and your relationships in life can work just kind of like the way that the rainforest does and 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 i started to that morning i built a vision for what i want to do from that point on and, and when i got back you know i i walked into the trap house where i was living and i had just immediate anxiety and i was like i can't be here anymore like this is i'm this is not serving me i can't be here you know, and there was some sketchy stuff going on at the house. So I just took my stuff and just got the fuck out. You know, I hit my mom up and, and my uh, and her boyfriend. I said, hey, I just need some place to stay for a little bit. Like, I'm going to get a normal job until I can get. But I, I, I can't be in a, a toxic situation anymore. I want to make my life better. Um, and I started working at a health food store. I cleaned up my life. You know, I was vegetarian for a little bit. That didn't last, but I was for a bit. <laughs> And uh, it and never what, lasts. <laughs> I, that's, know, not that's not true. That's not true. It's for some people, man. Some people, their body type, it works really well for them. For me, man, it just, it, you know, I really gave it my all. But my body just doesn't, it doesn't, it, I need, I need animal protein. And, and yeah. if I don't have it, I just start to wither away and I lose creativity. I lose a lot of, I just, I don't feel right, you know. Um, right. But anyways, around that time is when, 
I like, you know, I was opened up and I always had this idea of like, I love nunchucks. Could I light them on fire? And so I'm like, I'm trying to do some research on this and there's just not a lot, a lot of people that have done it. And so I, I found like a pair of nunchucks on Instagram, like some fire nunchucks. And I'm like, okay, I'm just going to order these things. So I order them. I start going to the gym at night. There's, they come and they're like super heavy. They're like 15 inches. They got these huge wicks on them. And I'm like, this is not like any other nunchuck I've spun before. You know, these things are like, you hit yourself with this. You're going to knock yourself straight out. These are thick aluminum. There's a wooden dowel going all the way through them. I'm like, these things are more lethal than any nunchucks I've ever used. But um, I start to move around with them and I start to build this idea. And then um, around this time, like I met somebody at my work at the health food store I worked at, I worked in vitamins that was like, Hey, have you ever been to a festival? I was like, no, I've gone to raves, but I've never been to a festival. And I'm like, Hey, you should check out this festival called Serenity Gathering. And I was like, okay, cool. So, you know, I get some time off work. I go to this festival on my 25th birthday. Uh, it was actually on my 25th birthday. And, um, I go there and, and like, I'm all by myself, never been to a festival. I don't know anybody, but you know, I go and I'm on like this, this three day psychedelic adventure pretty much on my own. And at the end of the adventure, you know, on the last night I had kind of like this crazy acid trip that went dark and uh, I found my way out of my tent and I went to the main stage and I saw fire performers for the first time. Like, and these guys are all like, they're in it, man. Like they're all tripping, I'm sure. But like, I looked at their faces and I was looking at the joy in their face and just like how engaged that they were and what they were doing. And as I was watching that, there's a sign on the side of the stage that says, dreams are just things that you're going to have to do crazy shit to obtain. <laughs> and I look at the sign, I look back at this fire performer on stage and his face is just like, ah, like he's just so in it. And I look back at the sign and arena again and I look back at the fire performer and I'm like, yeah, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. Like it clicked right there that this is like, no matter what, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. This is it. This is like my calling. And at that, that festival, actually like uh, this girl named Eve, who was like the best roped artist ever, like, like everybody still reveres her. She dropped after this festival, she stopped spinning completely. She stopped spinning rope dart, but I got to see her very last performance that, that Whoa. day. And so like, I saw like just the, the, the top world-class fire spinners and, and got this inspiration from this. And I was like, this is me. This is what I'm doing now. This is what I'm putting my energy into. And, um, I can't do it the traditional way. Like I can't learn from these other people, but I'm going to make it mine, you know? And the next year was dedicated to going to festivals, you know, having a great time learning how to spin fire nunchucks. Yeah. I was working at the health food store every night. I go to the gym for four hours and I'd smoke pot in my car. I'd go back in the gym and go in the, the mirror room and, and just look at it and learn things and, and figure out my movement. And, um, you know, I, I knew that I needed some skills, but I, I wasn't going to go to the traditional route and try and learn from other people. So I started doing capoeira, which is like this dance fighting Afro-Brazilian yeah dance fighting and you know like you know at this time i started to feel like i was getting decent at nunchucks and stuff you know i i'd gone to burning man and 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 done these other things i i picked up two nunchucks now so i'm doing double nunchucks but i mean capoeira and I, i'm down to square one man 
Like so these guys you're, are, you're building skill and you're retraining yourself. You're going through the Rocky Balboa montage, basically. <laughs> yeah, Rocky Balboa montage, but on psychedelics. You know, like okay. just <laughs> mushrooms all the time. Because, you know, mushrooms are the great downloader, man. You, you can pull things out of your ass that you didn't even know you could do when you're on mushrooms sometimes. And this, this was like a wild psychedelic phase for me where, you know, I was connecting a lot you know, and, and I was downloading, you know, and I was learning things. But I do Capoeira and I'm back at square one, man. You know, like I'm running around with these guys that have been doing this for, you know, 12, 15 years. And I, I can, I barely feel like I can walk compared to these guys. They're hopping up in handstands and doing cartwheels and flips and spinning back kicks and stuff. And I'm just trying to like learn how to do the Jenga back and forth and like everything. So I'm doing this It's a very humbling experience for me. Um, if I'm doing this for, you know, a year and I, I get some movement out of it, you know, I, I learned some things. I'm still, I still suck, bro. Like I, I'm not good at it or anything like that, but I learned enough to help me with my fire spinning and help me with my movement, you know, and it also teaches you spatial awareness with Capoeira. You have to know where, what's going around on around you all the time. Cause when you're in a Hoda, which is like the, yeah, the circle where they're playing the drums and the music, you have to know like how close you're getting to the people or if there's another Hoda going on right behind you, you need to make sure that you don't back into like the person behind you and catch a spinning back kick to the head or something. So it taught me spatial awareness. It taught me movement. I met my buddy Scotty, who is probably one of the best dancers I have ever come across. And he inspired me. You know, we started training Rocky style in his garage every morning because he needed to lose weight. He was coming out of a, like a bad relationship and, and he became like a brother to me you know, through this and, and, and we started training and then, um, there was, we did my, my Capoeira school was doing this free movement festival where it was their first thing that they ever done. They rented out this, this old supermarket in Santa Ana and they're putting together classes and everything. And, and I had just mentioned to my mestre that, uh, you know, Hey, if you guys need help, I could teach a flow arts class, you know, if, if you guys want to do that. And he's like, oh, yeah, okay, whatever. I'll keep that in mind. And then the night before the festival starts, he's like, hey, our first spot just dropped out. Like, we don't have a first class. Would you mind teaching your flow arts class, like, as the first class of the free movement festival? I was like, uh, okay, sure. <laughs> you know, like, with a few, you know, one night to prepare. Like, what am I going to teach people? What am I going to do? And it's like, <laughs> bring out all my flow toys. And I taught this class, and there was a guy there who was filming me teaching this class and um he showed me the the filming i was like man you made that simple class look pretty cool and this guy ended up being my current roommate uh and and does a lot of filming for the fire stuff that i do but he was the one who actually got me into building he's got this crazy shop uh in norwalk where i live where he's got every tool everything and so he really was like one of the catalysts to help me um, to start building my own props. He's one of the people that definitely helped me to get to the next level. Right. Now you're here. So you're building props on a constant basis from what you told me. And yeah. you're more involved in the fire community. Um, not yet. Not yet I'm not. I'm still a little bit of an outcast. I'm still kind of the, the dude, weird dude doing his nunchucks in the corner, you know, because, you know, everybody else is doing a certain kinds of props and there's a certain way of doing it. And I just was not, I don't want to learn what you guys are learning. I want to do my own thing. I still have this mentality. Um, and I thought it was pretty good. Like at this point, I'm like, I put a lot of time and I put a lot of effort in, into these nunchucks. 
and I think I'm pretty good. Um, and like festival season is ending, like I'm, I'm going through another move and everything. And I, I was just kind of got a, a little depressed again. And I'm like, dude, I need to prove myself. Like I need to prove like that I am, I'm, I'm okay with this. Like I need to, to challenge myself again. So um, at this time is when I decided I wanted to go to Thailand. So I'm working at this grow, get a job at this grow. I move in with my buddy, Mike, who is like, yeah, dude, move your things in, like crash here and go to Thailand. So I save up some money and I take off to Thailand. And, Why Thailand? Uh, what was it about Thailand you wanted to leave for? It's, it's wild, dude. You know, like Thailand is, couldn't be any different from where I'd grown up. Point. And, you know, there's fire spinners out there. There's parties out there. You know, there's, there's things I wanted to see if I could take my skill and my art somewhere else, not knowing anybody, not having any plan and find some work and be able to survive in another place for three months. You know, let's just wing it. Let's just see what happens. Let's go on an adventure. And so I did. And I, you know, traveled around, met some people, eventually ended up on the party island of Copenhagen where they have like a big full moon party. But of course that's where all the parties are and that's where all the work is. So I managed to get myself some work out there, meet a fire community. Um, I got to perform at this festival called uh, drop zone festival in Bangkok, uh, which was at this abandoned theme park. And they hired uh, a group of friends and me to, to go in there and, and spin LEDs for this thing. Of course, like the military ends up coming and shutting this thing down, like linking arms at like 11 PM, like forcing people out of this rave. Oh my it God. Was wild, dude. It was <laughs> wild. It was crazy. But yeah, I, I had myself an adventure and, and I did prove myself. I learned a lot about myself on that trip, good and bad. You know, I had gotten work. I, I had proven myself in my eyes on that trip that like, you know what, I, I am a fire performer. Like I am good at this. Like this is something that, that is meant to be for me. And I came back from that trip. And when I came back from that trip is when I had the clout, you know, I came back from Thailand. I, I had had some, you know, paid work under my get, uh, under my belt. And uh, all of a sudden this weird dude who was kind of just in the corner with the nunchucks and, you know, started getting some, some uh, attention and, I started teaching more workshops at like fire festivals and stuff. And I kind of, uh, people started to accept me, you know, and, and I was kind of brought in by the fire community at that time. And, and it was, uh, it was good. It was good for a bit. And also with rope dart too, I was le learning rope dart. So I had something where, okay, I'm learning this way, a traditional way. So I, I kind of fit into a, a little bit of a click as well. Definitely. And I've seen what your work is now. I, I've seen what your skill is and where it's at right now. And I got to tell you, you know, no offense to the other fire dancers that were there that night that I, that I came and witnessed your performance and your capabilities. But I thought you, you just possess so much talent. And it's clear from the story that you just told, you've grown tremendously, bro. Like, seriously, you should be proud of yourself. And these experiences, while it's definitely not orthodox, it's definitely not traditional, you've come a long way. And I think you've, you've, you've created peace in ways that not a lot of people get to create peace. I think it's pretty remarkable. It felt good. Um, yeah, it, 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 was, it, was, it was nice returning from that trip and, and finally kind of getting a little bit of respect from people. But internally, I was, I was a little lost and depressed again when I came back from that trip, you know, like, yeah, I'm getting respect from people, but what am I supposed to be doing? I just went on this long journey. You know, I found out some things about myself that, you know, I wasn't too happy about too, as well as finding out some awesome things about myself, 
you know, and then you start getting clout and you start getting acceptance. And this is when I had to kind of face my own ego, you know, cause like for the first time in my life, I'm good at something like everything else I had done, MMA, you know, bodybuilding, even, you know, I, I sucked at, or I lost, or I didn't get any recognition. Like, you know, I had worked hard at things, but I never really gotten the recognition that I was getting from fire spinning. And along with that comes a bit of an ego. And, and I had to learn how to deal with that, you know, and now I'm accepted by all these cool people in LA and like, you know, I'm spinning at, at like these events and stuff. And, and like, and initially, like when I started doing this, I like looked at that group of people. And I was like, I never want to be a part of those people. Like, I never want to be in that clique. I never want to do that. And then I'm there and I'm like, oh, that, well, this is kind of cool. Like, this is kind of, <laughs> you know, I, I'm, I'm a pretty cool guy now, you know, like I'm with these people and stuff. So, you know, internally, you know, I'm, I'm kind of depressed, but I've got, you know, this clout and a little bit of this ego and I'm, I'm wandering around this new fire world, you know, with, with the acceptance I, I have. And I somehow found myself in a relationship, which I hadn't been in, in quite a while. Um, <laughs> and it was, it was not a healthy one. It was actually a pretty bad one. And um, for about a year, I lost myself completely, man. Like, you know, I was caught up in ego, I was caught up in what people thought about me and my position in this community and everything. And, and it, 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 I was just really lost and I went back to some really dark places again. You know, after you go do ayahuasca, after you go travel, after you do all this, like, you know, you think you're going to be just, everything's going to be dandy, but no, I, I went back to another really dark place for about a year. And, uh, that relationship ended horribly. And, um, that person made it really hard for me to do what I loved, you know, cause now all the acceptance and stuff that I had in that community was gone. It was all gone. And people were looking at me like they knew what happened or like they knew what went down and were really judging me. And I, I didn't feel comfortable doing the thing that I loved anymore around these people. Like I was really casted out and I, it was something really hard for me to take. Cause I'm like, man, I've worked so hard to get here. I've worked so hard and put so much into this and just because of one thing and like, because of what this person has said about me and, and told people where they, none of these people have come to me and asked me what my side of the story was, but then in their defense, I didn't really want to tell people. I didn't really want to go out and talk about this stuff. I'm a pretty private guy. Um, but you know, within a short amount of time, you know, I was no longer comfortable doing what I had loved to do in that environment. So I had to find a new, a new outlet pretty much, you know, I, I couldn't, I couldn't go back to just doing that. So, um, you know, again, it was a very negative experience. It was, it was really bad. Uh, I got really depressed, but it led me in a better path, you know, just like everything else, just like all the other things. This was, this was something that was really traumatic to this day still messes with me quite a bit, but it led me down a different path of going into different fire communities, meeting new people. Um, this is actually what led me into film uh, and getting into film and uh, into like uh, movies and documentaries and stuff like that as well. Because, you know, if you can't go back to your L.A. fire spinning community and do, you know, the same thing. Well, OK, maybe you're not supposed to be doing that anymore. Maybe you got a vault. Maybe there's something else out there for you. So I am 
in this this time where I'm pretty depressed, I'm looking, I don't know what's next for me. You know, I'm, I'm I, I don't have acceptance anymore. I'm, again, I'm a loner and I, I get a gig doing this uh, fire shoot for a sock company, right? We're going to this mansion doing this, this shoot for these like really cool socks called Savvy Socks. And I'm there with another fire spinner and there's some models that are all dressed up in like Egyptian stuff and everything. And I start spinning my fire nunchucks with these socks on and I catch the eye of this, this cat there. And he's like, comes and talk to me. He's like, Hey, how long have you been doing that for? And I was like, I think at the time it was like three years or something like that. I've been doing this for like three years. And he says, yeah, I, I meet up with these guys. You know, we train martial arts and stuff in Riverside. Um, we love to have you kind of thing. And we love to like learn from each other and stuff. So, uh, I keep in contact with this dude. I go to meet up with him and he's like, Hey man, we got some really good martial artists here and I'm an actor and I've been wanting to work on my own project. I want to like pitch it to you and see what you think. And so he pitches me an idea. I said, it's, I think it's great. And he says, would you want to be a part of it? I'm like, yeah, man, absolutely. You're, you're saying something to put my energy into creatively. I'm in, you know, at this time I, I'm looking for anything new that I can put my energy into. Um, so we start working on this, this short film and it's called Among Us. And, and without giving too much away, uh, my scene is a battle with four demons. I, 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 it's on the top of, uh, we filmed it on the top of Riverside City Hall. So we got all the proper permits and everything like that. And um, people always ask me, the worst burn that I've gotten. And actually the worst burn I got was on the scene or on the set of this, this, this short film. And what was hilarious about it was I had to go and meet with the fire inspector, you know, cause we're doing it on the top of Riverside City Hall. So I had to meet with the fire inspector like the day before this and like be all professional. Like, yeah, no, this is what I do. Blah, 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 blah. I gave him a demo, you know, on the top of this helicopter pad on the top of this building. And um, he's like, okay, checks out. Seems good. Sounds, sounds good. We'll see you tomorrow kind of thing. And so, you know, I, I was like, all right, good. Yeah. All right. It's surprisingly trusting. Yeah. I was like, yeah, I just pulled out fire men trucks and spun them in front of a, you know, someone who's supposed to be in charge here. And he, and, and he acted, it sounds like he acted totally chill. Like, okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. You just do you. Oh, he's like, he's like, Dude, that's cool. You know, like, yeah, sounds great, man. Like, wow. That's, how, like, he, he, was, he was pretty fascinated with it. The chillest fire instructor in the world. I love it. <laughs> yeah, he was a pretty, pretty cool inspector. Um, but, uh, yeah, so we go and we're doing this shoot now and, like, we're running out of time. Like, it was expensive to go film on the top of Riverside City Hall. You know, it was hard to get the permits. It was hard to do everything. So we're running behind and um and it comes down to the time where i got to get my shoot and it's like right at sunset and and like i'm getting my my stuff ready and he's like got kent we got to go now we, we got to do this now i'm like okay hold on i got to switch out my fuel he's like no the sun's going down we got a few minutes to shoot this thing and we got one chance we're not gonna be able to come back back up here man it was like, golden hour go huh it was golden hour, man. And, and it really was. It was beautiful. The sun was coming down under the mountains. Like yeah. it was just like that little ray. And there was enough light to film where the fire wouldn't be completely lighting me up. And it was, just, it was the perfect hour. But he's like, bro, we got to go like right now. And I'm like sitting there. 
And I'm like, okay, if I got to change my fuel out, um, this is going to take at least five minutes or I can just go run it live with a white gas, which is, you know, I'm probably going to light myself on fire. They want me to do this shirtless too. So I was like, fuck it. If it makes a good, if it makes a good shot, it makes a good shot. So I, I just ran it and, uh, I did it with a white gas and right off the bat, I light my back on fire and I'm on fire going through the whole scene, doing the whole fight choreography, fighting these guys like on fire almost the whole time and then finish up. And they're like, that was perfect. Perfect scene. Perfect. Like great job. You know, the adrenaline's going, I don't really even feel the pain at this point, but they're like, Hey, so you're still on fire. Well, I, I spun out. Eventually the fuel evaporates. And if you move enough, you'll uncatch. Kind of oh, but I was so on fire. I was on fire for at least, I want to say at least a good 10 to 15 seconds, probably. That's terrifying. And were you injured from that? I mean, I got like a third degree burn, but it, it's nothing I haven't, you know, deal with before. And I played it off. There's girls on set and stuff. So I can't show <laughs> that I've, I've, you know, seriously burned myself. And, you know, I put on like my, my, uh, coast, the, the, one of the other guys had like a cloak that I just put on and the fire inspector comes up to me. He's like, Hey, looks like you got a pretty bad burn there. I was like, no, I'm fine. No, I doesn't do anything. <laughs> I'm, I'm good. No, Jesus no. Christ. I'm, like, uh, I'm just sitting there and like, as time goes on, I'm like, Oh man, this, this is actually hurts pretty bad. Like, <laughs> and by the end of it, I'm like, you know, to, to one of the other guys, one of the other actors like, Hey man, can you put some like Neosporin on my back? Or I take off the cloak and it's just like this big old, you know, one foot burn on the back of my back. And, and he's like, dude, holy shit, man. Like you really got a bad burn, but it was worth it. man. I, I'm pretty it sure I'm going to use that. Yeah, that take for the movie so like hey it's, it's a burn it, it's it's a star but it's a good story you know that is it's true they they talk about in film how there is a need right now for in the oscars for there to be an award just for stunt actors and part of that culture with the stunt acting community in film is that if an actor or a stunt actor injure themselves in that shot you have to use that shot that's kind of like the golden rule so I don't know if you saw the last Mission Impossible movie, but you can even see in the trailer for that movie, Tom Cruise broke his ankle in one of these big jumps. Tom Cruise is one of the only actors, aside from Jackie Chan, to one of the few mainstream actors does, that does their own stunts. So much so that the two people in the entire world that have their own health insurance policies are Tom Cruise and Jackie Chan, both completely oh, wow. tailored to them. They're the only people in the world who have their own health insurance policies just for them because they do their own stunts and they're always extreme. Wow. I, didn't know <laughs> Tom Cruise. I mean, I knew, knew Jackie Chan, you know, yeah. I grew up with him. No, and, Tom and Cruise, seen... you can see Tom Cruise's ankle bend in a way it shouldn't bend in one shot. Production was delayed for like two months. And then after that production continued just to, wow. just to, just to continue to finish that film. <laughs> Whoa! I did not know that about Tom Cruise. Much more respect for Tom Cruise after knowing he's putting his his body on the line. Like he's that. definitely not my favorite actor, but I do respect the hell out of him. What a what a crazy guy! Anyone who really puts their lives on the line for a film for art, I have so much respect for, including yourself, Kenton. You burned your entire oh. back for a film. <laughs> well, you know what's hilarious about that though is that the worst burn that I've actually ever gotten that I have the worst scar from is not from fire spinning. You know where it's from? What? Bacon wrapped hot dogs. I'm not that sounds even delicious but painful. <laughs> oh man, I, I was uh, cooking bacon wrapped hot dogs at this party, 
and as you know had a couple of was, was definitely drunk um <laughs> and, and then you know i was just getting a little too aggressive throwing the dogs into the pan and there was a bit of bacon grease there oh no and the bacon grease just splattered all over my the side of my body oh and it's so hilarious because people are like oh man that one must have been bad like what were you spinning when that happened i was like i was spinning bacon wrapped hot dogs jeez and that's the worst, that's the worst scar that I have. So even on my back, even that third degree burn, I put like silver Dean cream on it and stuff. So it, it, uh, it went away and you can't see much of it, but the bacon wrapped hot dog grease burn is, is the one that's still visible on my body. You see, I wish I was just as cool. I'm not, <laughs> I could tell you that right now. <laughs> the worst, the worst burn I ever got was when I was changing out the bulb to a lava lamp. And I just touched the bulb straight up right after turning it off. I remember dipping my finger in aloe vera for like maybe an hour and still like holding back tears. But compared to you, you had an entire back on fire and you're like, oh, yeah, just, you know, just chill. Yeah. And an hour later, then you felt the pain. <laughs> well, I, I had adrenaline on my side. Man. Yeah, you, you had know? adrenaline. Yeah. I had, and that's the thing with fire spinning. You usually don't realize you burn yourself until way after. The adrenaline is going so high. And you're so focused on what you're doing because when you're spinning fire, you know, and especially when you're doing big fire, you don't have time or energy to think about or put energy on anything else. You have to be 100% focused on what you are doing in that moment. And even burning yourself, you don't really even realize it. Or even if you hit yourself in the head or anything, you just keep going because, you know, if you stop, <laughs> you're going to burn yourself more, most likely. So it really takes, you know, 110% of your concentration while you're doing it which is nice you know you burn yourself you don't realize till 30 minutes after oh that, that looks pretty bad definitely <laughs> what are you doing nowadays since covid hit uh, yeah i was i was really having a lot of time a lot a really hard time coming out of that that breakup to be honest with you and it, you know i had to get a normal job again i was working at a grow for through the whole time while i was doing a lot of this stuff and then you know through that breakup and stuff uh, i ended up losing that job because I was just not in a good place. Uh, so I got another job with my little brother, working a normal job, working for an Edison contractor on power poles, um, which you know I never wanted to do a normal job, but this is actually not a bad gig, and it's been good to me. Um, so I'm putting my energy in there, and in my free time, I have been building a lot of props, and working on the meteor chuck, and producing meteor chucks, producing new kinds of nunchucks, um, and selling those as well, You know, really focusing on my building, quite a bit, um, as well as working with some of my new friends that do big pyrotechnics and uh, like flamethrowers and doing uh, photography with them. And now we're looking at getting into film, doing some film stuff with them as well. I got into a documentary with a guy I met named Ashish and his documentary is gonna be called Mother Chucker. And it <laughs> follows me and uh, a couple other artists in the LA community. Um, and we've, we've been working on that. And he just went back to India, actually. I uh, just want to give a little shout out to my Spice Boys out there. We call them the Spice Boys because these guys can cook, man. They cook some of the best Indian food ever. Um, and just some of the coolest dudes ever. Umez, Rustic, Ashish. Uh, you guys are awesome. Um, You're making me yeah, hungry. We, oh, dude, man. These, <laughs> the curry, these guys, man. Man, gosh. Spice Boys, man. They'll rock your world, man. Um, but uh, yeah, we worked on a documentary with them. Um, 
building the props, building the meteor chuck, pumping out more nunchucks. Um, you know, because of COVID, there's not a lot of performing going on, but uh, I'm still trying to build that up. I'm really trying to put together a, a great team of of fire spinners that all have different different things um, and build a, a good performing group. So once this thing is over, we can get some work. Um, I'm pretty much just keep on keeping on, man. Like I, I'm not going to stop what I do. It's, it's always evolving. I don't really know where, what it's going to evolve into or where it's going, but I'm not going to stop because this is what I do. This is what I love. And, and nothing has stopped me to this point and nothing's going to stop me to this point. I, I just got to keep pushing. And, and the next evolution of this, who, I don't even know what it's going to look like, you know, but, but I'm going to put the work in and I'm going to stay dedicated to my craft until something, something happens. You know, but I, I, I can't honestly tell you where it's going. I, I really don't know. The only true thing I could say is that where you're going right now and the things you're doing, the props you're making, it can only go upward. And I wish you the best in your journey into the fire world and the fire performing world as a, as a movement artist. If someone out there listening to this podcast right now wanted to contact you, be a part of your fire nation, so to speak. What is the best way to reach out? I'm on Facebook a lot, and that's under Kenton McDougall. My Instagram is flowchecker. And you can get in contact with me, shoot me a message on there. I answer messages on Instagram more than any other platform. All the information will be displayed in the show notes of this episode. And finally, Kenton, the question I ask everybody on this podcast, what will you be famous for? Oh <laughs> uh, man, uh, probably just being that crazy fire nunchuck dude. Like that's 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 the the only thing I can think of. Is the, the fire nunchuck guy. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Kenton McDougal. Thank you so much for coming to the show, man. Dude, thank you so much for having me, bro. I really appreciate it. If you've listened this far into the episode, it must mean you're a thriver. A great way to support my show is to follow my socials. You can follow my Instagram, at Mr. Thrive, like the Facebook page, Mr. Thrive Media, and be sure to check out my website at www.mrthrive.com to learn more about the Thriver experience. Thanks for listening. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.